Welcome back to What's Up, Doc? Emenaries. I'm Henry. And I'm Leandra. And our podcast is now 22. He is... 22. There's no longer a significant number associated with our podcast. No, we'll get there. 25, we can rent it's, a car. It's That's true. That's that's the real age of... That's the adulthood. real adulthood. You it. can rent a car. <laughs> We'll trust you to be in the army. We'll trust you to drink and do whatever. Boat. Boat. You smoke, know. whatever. Mm-hmm. But damn it, you cannot rent a car till you are 25. That's true. All right. Um, <clears throat> enough about that. Today we're going to talk about a documentary that we watched at True, True False. False. So it's, we didn't mean to choreograph that. Yeah. <laughs> that was spontaneous. We are completely in sync. It's probably because mm-hmm. we were drinking wine. So We were. That always puts us on the same page. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, uh, the documentary we're going to talk about today is called Feels Good Man. And I don't know if this one's out yet. It is not out yet. I just actually checked right before we started making this podcast to see if it had been picked up by any distributors. And it has not, by what I can tell. I will say, when we were plotting our True-False film festival schedule, this was the documentary I was most excited to watch. It is more of a broad audience documentary or commercial documentary compared to some of the other ones that we typically check out at True-False. I was excited about it because of the content. I I felt like it was something that could really teach me something. But also, director Arthur Jones is from Missouri. He graduated high school from Jefferson City. So it's always cool to see... Um, and meet, and we actually sat right behind him at the campfire stories. So I was like totally like yeah. fangirling out um, about him. So uh, I there were a number of reasons why I wanted to watch this, um, and we're going to get into the nitty gritty of the documentary. But this was one that um, I did didn't leave after feeling good. <laughs> it doesn't make you feel good, man. Maybe that's the problem with the documentary is it's got a lie in the title. It's a horribly depressing You do not feel good, man, after this. However, um, yeah, this was our mainstream pick. We it always was. pick one that we think, yeah, this is probably going to get picked up. This mm-hmm. is probably going to be on Hulu. This will probably be popular. And so we guessed this one, mm-hmm. and that's based on the controversial subject of this documentary. It the, also... Sorry. Oh, I was going to say, Leandra, would you like to oh, okay. fill them in? I was going to also say, what's cool about this documentary is Henry and I really like um, like adult animation. And so this documentary features a lot of animation. Oh, and so the animation's awesome. It's awesome. And the music's great. And so there were lots of reasons why I had chosen this one as my pick. Um, it is funny, though, because we watched this uh, midday on Saturday with a group of people where the average age was probably like 55. So this documentary mm-hmm. is about internet culture. And so watching it with a more seasoned um, audience, I think kind of contributed to the watching experience. It was like grandma learns the internet. That's basically <laughs> how, the, be that blunt, that's how the crowd was. It was like, <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> okay. So this documentary <laughs> is about Pepe the Frog. I didn't know the origins of Pepe the Frog. I will tell you my introduction to Pepe the Frog. I am a high school teacher. So anything involving social commentary or pop culture or what is new or what is cool comes from my students. And one day... And this is actually significant to the documentary when we actually learn about who this is because that's very important. This was probably back in 2014, I want to say. A student of mine drew this cartoon frog face on my whiteboard... And I didn't think anything of it because before I wisened up and became a meaner slash smarter teacher, I used to leave my markers out and kids would just draw messages or whatever. 
could be. And so somebody drew this frog. I didn't even notice it. I completely ignorable. And Henry came into my classroom and saw it and said, what is that? And I said, I don't know, Hannah drew it or something. Some frog. I think they call it Pepe or something. I'm way more cynical. Yes. Only because, and this is a, if you're a high school teacher, you know that kids do this. They will sneakily write shit on your board. They do. Or draw shit. Thought, T-H-O-T. Yes, I was just thinking that. That you know, they know you have no clue what it is. And I'm so naive about things that I'm always just like, whatever. And then I become a laughing joke, so. They don't expect me to do mm-hmm. is right after they do it i then google it i google it yeah. or i do my favorite which is somebody tell me what this is i will give you <laughs> bonus points for ratting out whoever did it and Your then peers. boom so that's how it started they turn on then a couple years ago at true false and this must have been right after the shooting in oregon I think you told me about your discovery of yeah. 8chan and and how this is like this underbelly. Well, when this, your student did that, I remember I talked to Lander. I was like, I think that's uh, something that has to do with racism. Right. And the reason why I did that is when I Googled Pepe the Frog, this was 2016. Well, and that was 2014 when that happened. The student that yes. drew that on the board. And then, there was like a, some articles mm-hmm. online that were pretty... Because I, I still didn't get it. I didn't get the joke. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get, like... Because she was, like... The student was, like, oh, rare Pepe's, rare Pepe's. Like, like, so, anyways, I remember <laughs> specifically being at True Falls because we were shopping at Slackers. And you were telling me about this Pepe the Frog thing. And I remember saying, isn't that the guy that's on that What's Your Meme game? Because at this point in time, we've played What's Your Meme or Know Your Meme or whatever it, it is. is. And so... It's weird that to come full circle, by 2020, we're watching a documentary at True Falls in Columbia that is fully educating me while we were all living history, like immersing me in how this evolved. So that's kind of our introduction to Pepe. I feel like we were kind of on the fringe of knowing what it was, Henry, probably more than me. Well, I wouldn't say the fringe. I was on the fringe of I heard about it before mainstream, but then I had already concluded what eventually mainstream newspapers concluded, which is, oh, this is a symbol of white nationalism. Yes. So what I really appreciate about this documentary, before I get into the nitty gritty of it, I am always really fascinated in sociology and social institutions and just... I feel like us as groups of people are almost more fascinating than us as individuals. So the documentary takes, like, Matt Fury, who is the the creator of Pepe, and I'm going to get into that here in a second, while he is the kind of central focus of the documentary, it's more of this conversation about how the internet is this ever-evolving organism that we don't have control of or even have license to control, and what happens when it becomes this extremist Um, terrorist weapon that's used against us. And so I think human beings at our core are these like miraculous creatures, but we're our own worst enemy. And I feel like this documentary really kind of aims to have that conversation. And I think what's so spooky about this documentary is that it's still so relevant and so current. Like we are literally in history watching this unfold before our eyes and are kind of helpless to stop it. So the documentary follows this guy named Matt Fury, who you, I think, cannot help but love. He's this really lovable, goofy, soft-spoken, um, sweet artist out of San Francisco who in the early 2000s created a comic called Boys Club. And just to kind of give you some context of time, he initially puts this comic on MySpace. Do you remember <laughs> MySpace? Well, even that was like... because. 
It was printed, but it was. it was like a drug zine that maybe like those hipster college students would know about. It was okay. basically not mass. It wasn't something like everybody knew it about. Like it was like mad like, TV fart humor, but yeah. like far more indie. Yeah. So he creates this webcomic and only has a couple of installations, but one of the um, pages involves and the, the webcomic involves these four anthropomorphic creatures and I don't even remember all their names, but they're, they're like, like these post college like stoner dudes eating pizza and doing keg stands in a house together. Like yeah, post college roommates. Yeah, so to give you the kind of level of maturity or humor, this is what we're working with. So <laughs> Matt tells this story about as a kid, he remembers walking in to his cousin going to the bathroom and his pants were pulled down all the way to his ankles. And when he asked his cousin, like, what are you doing? And why do you pee that way? His cousin said, feels, it feels good, man. So to kind of immortalize that story, Matt puts that in his comic with Pepe the frog. And I think the irony is, and again, I don't know the comic that well, is that Pepe the frog is like of the four characters, like the sweetest. Um, he's like the lamest. Yeah, he's like the most like everybody who like they had that was like fans of the comic. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh yeah, my favorite character was this, not Pepe. Yeah, like he wasn't the popular character, right? But in this one, and it's kind of funny too because Matt's wife and I can't remember her name. I'm sorry. He like modeled Pepe's butt after his his wife's butt, like drew his wife's butt in the comic, which I thought was just a funny anecdote. And so yeah, so that's how Pepe the Frog. The feels good man, the, the Pepe that we know, the, the kind of creepily smiling frog, yeah. turning to his side and staring at this, the the well, kind he of wasn't outside even perspective. Originally creepily staring, he was right. just like smiling and he was looking. And the, the frame is a lot bigger. Yeah, like it's him like with his pants down peeing, and a guy's like, "What? What are you? What the hell are you doing?" Yeah, and he's like, "Feels good, man. Feels good, man." Mm-hmm. And so then they had cropped that kind of very mm-hmm. small portion of the comic, his face saying, "Feels good, man." And boy, did that take off. So that's how that started, the the comic. Then it gets adopted by this kind of subculture of internet people. I don't know anything about 4chan. Yeah, I don't. I I have deliberately chosen to stay off 4chan and certainly 8chan. And Arthur Jones, you can tell in his production team, has deep dived into it. I don't want to because I think it'll just make me more depressed than I actually am. So, yeah. But there's a subculture on 4chan that's known as. And again, I have to Google this. This is me kind of being an old lady. The fitness forum. The fitness forum. So the fitness forum would post these pictures of like taking like jacked up photos of yourself like in a mirror. And it would be with like equivalent to what is today a hashtag feels good, man. Yeah, they would have like, but I guess the fitness forum is like code for these are all the in the closet gay or out in the closet gay. Or like basically the gay kids are in the fitness forum and all the racist kids are in the politics forum. He (laughs) had like, he kind of explained it to us. Don't quote me on this. I'm quoting the director. Right. And what we're talking about is Arthur Jones, like all directors or at least people involved with the production team will come out after the movie has screened at true false and answer questions. So anyways, so it kind of gets adopted by 4chan and now what is 8chan. But then interestingly enough, it gets adopted by this subculture that, are self-proclaimed NEETs, and that's N-E-E-T. That's and part of 4chan. This is part of it. So NEETs are people, and NEET stands for not in education, employment, or training, but it's essentially like overweight white men living in their mother's basements and are proud of it. And yeah, it, you think, oh my gosh, you're stereotyping a group. They're stereotyping themselves because yeah. that's literally what they like show off pictures online of how garbage dump their rooms are and how they basically are living off of living their, off their parents. parents. That's what the neat lifestyle. Right. That's their goal is to be like 
don't have to work. And I it's think, weird. I think what is so disturbing about this whole movie is that there are these pockets of the internet who will deliberately make a joke of themselves so you can't make fun of them, and then they weaponize that. And so the Neats are a great example of that because they're making fun of themselves so much that if you attack them, they feel as though, like, you can't attack me, but I can attack you. Oh, like, it's so bizarre. That was so one of the bizarre. greatest points about the documentary was the way the internet works is if you say hateful things Mm -hmm. because of these 4chan forms because they're constantly just throwing hateful stuff at each other and that's just part of the game then when you take offense to it it's like I was joking. Yeah, and I'm so like appalled by what is that you told me about people who are virgins, but they think they're like forced virgins. Oh my gosh, I can't remember what they're called. Yeah, they have those people. It was like the shooter in uh, Pittsburgh or something. He like shot somebody at a yoga studio or something. Oh yeah, was that Texas? I don't know. It's not so sad. I mean, yeah, I mean, like can't keep it straight. Yeah, these people who are like forced celibacy kind of thing. Who think that like women think they're like. Therefore, it's it's gross. Like women should sleep with them because right. they're like being punished by society because women won't sleep right. with them. It's weird. So it's that's weird. that's so Pepe gets they taken exist. over by the Neats. Okay, stay with me. I know this is confusing. So then Katy Perry and Nicki Minaj post some tweets or some post involving the Pepe meme, well, and then yeah. the Neats get pissed and they're like, "No, this isn't um, mainstream." Media, this is our thing. How dare you take this thing it, from it us? Basically, made it to high school culture, and right. that's where we were seeing it at school. Was exactly. from those kids seeing it as like, "Oh, I funny. These are jokes. This is the new meme. Here we go." I don't quite understand it, but this is what kids are posting. Right. Here we go. So here we are in 2014, which is what I told you when I first was introduced to this yeah. in school. Okay, so to make it unmemeable or to make it less popular, if you will, the neat people and these like deep. Four chan. Four channers. They take Pepe and then they turn him into um, a Nazi sympathizer and they give him a Hitler stash and he's responsible for 9-11 and all they these horribly him. egregious human atrocities Pepe is now associated with so that people like Katy Perry and Nicki Minaj can't tweet it. So they be- they basically want to be as unlikable, as unattractive, which is, again, part of that neat lifestyle as possible so that you can't take this one thing from us. That puts us at 2015-2016. Insert Donald Trump. So Donald Trump becomes the poster child for like the alternative political candidate. Well, actually, what's weird is they were like almost all of them are very like anti-establishment, anti-establishment, anarchist. They the whole idea of the neat thing is like, oh fuck society. Mm -hmm. We'll look at society's. We want to see it all burn. Right. And so they They start, don't like Donald Trump, but they like the idea well, they that Donald see him Trump do presents. it and they think it's so funny and right. they think it's so funny that he's pissing people off. They immediately just start memeing him like crazy. Right. And, and he of course off. retweets yeah, it. Yeah, it's weird. There's actually one point and I remember this where he t- Donald Trump tweets himself as a frog. Mhm. It's, it's bizarre. So, it makes no sense. And you're like, why would you do that? I don't want to give like too much of the documentary away, but the, the, at its height in the kind of zeitgeist of pop culture was in 2016 when Hillary Clinton is giving a rally and somebody in a moment when she there's a lull in her speech, somebody in the crowd shouts, Pepe. They actually did a really cool thing showing the, the 4chan forum. Agging, like egging this guy on to do it, so you almost see like the build up and the why and what it means to them. Because then it's like, oh my god, look, we look how much control we have. We got. I heard Pepe on TV. It was weird how like it went from 
uh, it was almost absorbed by this these groups as, and then became almost like a religion to them. Yeah. And that's what he, the documentary did a really good job at, was just showing this, like, not really explaining the, the... When you look at it at the end, like I was reading these articles from the New York Times... It was like, here it is, but they don't make any sense of it because it doesn't make sense at that point. You're seeing some, like, weird telephone game. Yeah. And what the documentary did good, like, did a really good job at is showing how that telephone game went from a drug zine from a very, like... Obscure comic. Obscure comic from this guy who is just living his own in San Francisco that is, like, the nicest guy Mm -hmm. you'll ever meet kind of thing to... A symbol of absolute hate. And, and, and I think also what's interesting, um, too, is examining how it absolutely influenced the election in a really horrible way. Weird way. In a weird way. Like, meaning that, like, people... Not, I don't know if it had an effect, like, that's why Donald Trump won. Right. No, I don't mean that. But the election... It has it will go down in historical terms, Almost, I guess. It, it doesn't. And I know this sounds horrible, but it almost strengthened these... Psychopaths right. on yeah. the internet to yeah. be like, look at what we can we do. Can do yeah. And when you see all these, like, mm-hmm. you know, like the New Zealand shooting mm-hmm. and all these manifestos that are posted on 8chan and 4chan, it's you start realizing, well, oh my actually, god, these people thought they, this isn't crazy loner guy on the internet. This is, he thinks he's a part of some kind of cult thing. This is almost like no different than a uh, religious. Suicide bomber kind of thing. It is weird. They actually show you there was a shooting in Oregon by a man who was part of the 4chan community. Is it Oregon? Yeah, I looked it up before oh, okay. um, we discussed because I needed to, and I can't remember. Yeah, his they name, actually there is a shooting. He tied like to this shows culture. it shows the 4chan threads of him being like, "I'm gonna do it," and people are like, "Do it, do, do it. it!" Like, and so then when he's doing his essentially like suicide note on video, he talks about 4chan and Pepe, and so Pepe gets tied to. This horrible school, school shooting. But then the, the forum themselves are like, yes, yes, validation. Look, look at look. what we can do. Yeah, it is bizarre. So, These people literally live in their own little world, which makes sense. That's how the internet yeah. operates. And they're like, literally, as they admit, they live in a basement and they live in a bubble and this is all that they know. So that's all stuff that I think you probably may know about or with a quick Google search without having watched the documentary could possibly know about what I really appreciate about the documentary is that it plays it out like a plot. So it, I feel like sometimes when we're talking about the internet and like memes and, and just like how internet culture and, and, you know, even like, um, the it culture really, war kind of conversations, oh, it, is it gets so, so complicated, hard, but it gets complicated. He, he narrows it down to this like digestible plot that makes sense as to how we got where we were, where Alex Jones, who, is a horrible human being, but Alex Jones peddles Pepe as like a mascot. And so does, um, what was that guy's name? Richard Spencer, who was like this, you know, white supremacist and like people who were like advocating for Pepe as like, this is my, yes. So the documentary, while that's part of it. You can't see this, but Landry's getting so wound (laughs) up right now. (laughs) I just, the the sound, the name Alex Jones, just like, I just can't, I can't. Holy hell. So, that's the the kind of, um, if you will, like the, the background of what's yeah. happening in the documentary. But the documentary, surprisingly, was more about Matt Fury, the cartoonist, and his like his struggle with how much responsibility he has in reclaiming his intellectual well, yeah. property and there's his artistic bas- property. There's basically two narrative storylines. Yeah. One, the evolution of Pepe from and what it is. the drug magazine mm-hmm. to the Pepe of, hey, you're on the list 
for uh, the Anti-Defamation League's list of hate symbols. Which it later becomes a yeah, hate symbol. and then just basically how it got there. Mm-hmm. And then the side story is basically the Matt Fur- Fury and his credit, like how he deals with it. Because mm-hmm. at first it's like, hey, your comic's really popular. Mm-hmm. Okay, some weirdos are doing some weird things with it, but hey, I'm popular all mm-hmm. of a sudden to, oh my God, I... Uh, People hate me right. and, for and uh, being a part of this. There's this like interesting implicit conversation in the documentary, too, about, one, who owns content on the internet? Because yeah. virtually nobody does. And when we don't have that control, which I know the neat community and people on 4chan love boundless, um, you know, these kind of boundless forums that are under nobody's thumb and control. Yeah. But what happens when it becomes this weaponized content yeah. that's now encouraging alt-right extremist behavior? And like, at what point do we step in as people and as in social institutions to either curb that or control that? Can we do that? Should we do that? Honestly, the documentary kind of showed that we can't. Mm-hmm. Because part of the storyline of Matt's was at one point when it finally got bad, he tried to step in and be like, let's save Pepe. If we just start using him in a positive way then that will outshine the negative. But then it also kind of showed that even though you love this character or he's a part of you and he doesn't reflect you or whatever, he was lost. He's gone because it's just one of those things where you cannot get that back. And a lot of the documentary was him trying to get that back. And and it is sad. So at one point he did time, have a couple successes though. in like twenty seventeen. He declares Pepe dead, thinking that this is going to be the end of it, and, then, and no. it doesn't. It gets he, he tried a million things, and he tried to go the anti defamation mm-hmm. league and beg them to be like, look, it's not him; it's the symbols on him. And he makes good points. He does. But the one criticism I have of the documentary is they do show Matt as being like a very sympathetic character, but. He did fuck up. <laughs> well, I feel as though I, I'm not entirely in agreement with this with Henry, but Matt and Arthur Jones, the director, are friends. Yeah. And so it is safe to and say that he is maybe portrayed in a more sympathetic, a more subjective light, I guess, in context to Arthur's perspective. You say why you think he messed up and I'll... Well, my evidence against the documentary, because they do throw him softballs. There's one part where one of his friends is talking about a Samantha B segment about how she was talking about white nationalists and was using Pepe. And then her, his Matt's friend went up to Samantha because she worked with Samantha B and was like, hey, I know that guy. He's a really nice guy. And Samantha B was just like, okay, like didn't care. And it was supposed to show like how people just didn't really want to hear this, like where it was from. Like people were just ignorant to the whole story. And so that's where people like me came in who were reading the New York Times and didn't know anything about Pepe before it, only saw it as like, uh, the symbol of hate and how we were just like didn't have a full view of what was going on and if we did we wouldn't see it as a hate symbol mm-hmm. that was one part of it but the problem I have with the Matt Fury, Fury. thing yeah. is at the end of the documentary he sues several people and I don't want to spoil what happens but, but it's but very he, satisfying it is satisfying but he takes control of his character mm-hmm. he basically starts suing people for letting them these white like people put him on t-shirts and stuff like that and he does that way too late because early in the documentary, they don't really highlight it, but at one point they show that he has boxes and boxes of Pepe the Frog shirts in his... Like a storage. In a storage shed. Yeah. And what happened was, when it got popular, he was going to sell Pepe the Frog clothes on his website, license clothes yeah. in malls and yeah. stuff, and kind of capitalize on the pop- popularity. Well, then it got declared a hate symbol, and then he couldn't sell it anymore. 
And so it was almost like what they were showing was a sympathetic, like, look, it economically hurt Matt Fury. He didn't make money off of it. He lost money. But the problem with that is he bought those shirts because it was popular. Like, he could have stepped in, but there was a financial benefit at the beginning to keeping his mouth shut and letting the internet be the internet. And had he started, like, really pursuing people for using the image incorrectly, then he might have been able to avoid some of the popularity taking over. And so there is, like, a little bit where I feel like they avoid the fact that he did, because he's so passive at the beginning, and they make it just seem like, oh, he's just a passive guy, but... He was going to try to make money off of it. Now, and so I feel like that kind of soils his hands a little bit. I do feel the as though the fact that you're bringing this up, yeah. that is something that is implicitly questioned yeah. in the documentary. I think yeah. even Arthur Jones is kind of saying, did you react maybe too late? Well, he questions it, but I don't feel like he ever but puts it past that. In Matt Fury's defense, Matt is first and foremost an artist, and I feel like you, any artist, any writer, any creator creates a content, creates art, and we all know that art, the, the object at hand is secondary to how people interpret it. And so you create art not so much to create something, the tangible thing, but to get people to connect and react to it. And so I feel like sometimes as artists, like people will kind of let be what will be, if that makes sense. Like you're creating this more for like as a public kind of connection or conversation. Yeah. Now, I think this situation is unique because it it did become mangled into a hate symbol and created Here's- real events that led to people's death. I think that is uniquely horrible and harmful. And should Matt Fury have stepped in sooner? Yeah, but he even admits that. I mean, he recognizes the fact that like m- maybe I should have been more of a proponent of this earlier on so i i feel like your criticism is fair but i don't think like it's totally ignored in the documentary i agree i like i said like you'll have to watch it and kind of see this for yourself i don't feel like that's one before i say this documentary is the greatest documentary ever Mm -hmm. there are a couple things that just aren't super clean about the documentary i will say interesting i learned this earlier so this film actually premiered at sundance which sundance was just a couple of weeks before true false i think two weeks um, before true false it was its final edit was two days before sundance so i do feel like maybe at some parts it might have been a little rushed and this is also arthur jones first feature length documentary but if i had not told you that you watching the documentary it does seem like this doesn't feel like an indie project. I feel like this is something that could be easily picked up by Netflix well, or Hulu, and yeah. it's a really high-quality documentary. Well, this could have been a docuseries because it's one of those weird yes. things that it's such a weird story that every little segment of this documentary, you're like, oh my gosh, I want to know more. But mm-hmm. then also it's like, but does more actually help know anything? Right. Because a lot of them are just like little rabbit holes to yes. meaningless like, there was the occultism to it. Mm-hmm. These people were, like, worshipping him. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it was weird. Like, worshiping Pepe Cash, which the, I didn't know was a thing. The entire, like, Pepe's even involved in the Bitcoin Cryptocurrency, boom. yeah. Kind of, but in a weird way. It's just, like, how, it almost just shows how weird people are, but uh, how just weird thing like, the internet is. Yes. Just how weird the internet can be in that regard. I don't know. Um, I do feel as though this was a documentary, like I said, we watched it midday. I left the documentary feeling really, really depressed. I think it's because this story 
is not obviously over yet. And I don't, I don't even know if we've ever, we haven't even reached the worst depths of the internet. I don't think, (laughs) I think the, I think the internet and social media will one day be like our obsession with like oil. Like it's going to lead to our own like downfall in every sense of the word. And so it's scary to think about how like we're at this interesting crux, but we're not even at the worst of what the internet can be. I think that the danger of this, the, Kind of what I see the documentary as being useful is with Pepe and myself, I just dismiss these things as being like weirdos on the internet. Because I have kids that come up to me sometimes and just talk like they've never spoken to a human being before and say things that they use language like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's a rare Pepe. They make like... That makes no sense to me. That's another language to me. I don't even know what the hell you're talking about. Mm -hmm. I don't know how like why, you know, they do things that you're like, why would you do that in front of a normal social situation? But what I don't see is how crazily tight these communities are to the point that they don't have socialism out, mm-hmm. or social uh, communication outside these little bubbles. And to them, what seems perfectly normal or a way to talk or a way to think is so beyond what collectively we view as being, you know, normal i agree and, and it's I think hard being, you just want to say oh that's just mirrored internet weird right. culture but it's not it's not it's more of a product of thanks to the internet we have these little pockets, pockets. Of, yeah i think that's what's interesting too is like henry and i are millennials and you know you hear all those kind of jokes or commentary about millennials and yada 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 and i get it but i think like being a teacher a millennial adult teaching and then you see how like, we grew up at a time in which internet was, yeah, a thing, yeah. but it wasn't, like, super immersive. And now, like, our kids, our young people, this is so, like you said, normal um, to their everyday existence that they don't see it being abnormal. Um, that's really scary. To, even thinking about it right now is giving me anxiety to think that, like, there's this whole subculture of people on the internet who find value in doing nothing with their lives but creating chaos. We have to start connecting societal like how these people are actually being like what ideas are people consuming yeah in every pot we can't just basically do the old thing where it's like oh you know that's just weird internet stuff because here's the thing our kids are our kids are like being consumed with this yeah you know a few years ago there was like a um this thing like hashtag gamergate And I don't want to get into that, but it's to me like the perfect point about the problem with Pepe is that's something that's easily ignored by people because they're like, oh, video game culture is so weird. But that whole thing was not even about video games. It was about like this deeply weird like culture clash and sexism that Mm -hmm. exists. And the response was horrible. And I think people just don't even know that happens. But that actually though, what's weird about it is something that's about like sexism and we think oh yeah me too it's always been in the news how many of our younger generation i've had more conversations with about the game trying to argue with kids about the gamergate thing than i have with adults because they know what that is Mm -hmm. but they don't understand it yeah but they're consuming it Mm -hmm. because they're in these pockets and they're basically what i'm saying is and this is what i'm not eloquently saying is uh 
we have kids all the time being radicalized by these weird groups, and we don't do anything because we just don't ignore them because we see them as these small groups. But or combined, we see it as like a passing fad. Yeah, a passing know? fad, and mm-hmm. it's not. It's actually like really easy to radicalize people on any sort of group because that's all they know. That's all the social interaction they're getting, yeah. and that's the language that they speak. It's horrible, and I so think, that's the depressing thing I took yeah. from it. Yeah, and I will say we watched this one. I mean, literally an hour or so before we watched the collective, which we're going to do a podcast episode about that. And that was another kind of troubling conversation about just the depths of immorality. (laughs) So we stacked two documentaries back to back that were really just, um, even now I can see our energy. Like we're just like emotionally drained talking about it. Oh, it's just depressing. It is. I will say. You just, it will, you watch this documentary and you, when the guy who's the, represents neat culture or the neat lifestyle you will watch that and be like what the fuck you will feel like you are the biggest old curmudgeon Mm -hmm. and i know i'm not old but i felt like i'm like Mm -hmm. i don't understand this i will say a couple of interesting things and this is how i'll kind of wrap up my points i started this conversation with talking about how i find sociology really fascinating one thing i learned about this documentary aside from everything i just shared with you is that there is this um field of examination in anthropology and communication and sociology of being a mememist. I think I've said that right. In which people yeah, are, weird. in which people are studying memes and how they influence social culture, um, commentary, shaping ideologies. I did not even know that was a branch of study. Um, so if you're like maybe interested in memes in a more academic sense, that might be something to check out. The documentary did end on a hopeful note. I don't want to, give it away because I feel like it did kind of build up to a kind of positive, bright idea at the end. So while the documentary is wildly depressing, the animation is beautiful and it ends with this really beautiful animation that has a somewhat um, hopeful, uplifting idea. Um, And so, oh yeah. And the last thing I was going to say was after the documentary, uh, Arthur Jones came out on stage to answer questions, to field questions. A couple of funny observations. One, he asked the audience who here has been on 4chan and the only person that raised their hand was probably a 20 something white dude (laughs) which i thought was kind of funny um at least from my focal point the second thing that was really both curious and disturbing is somebody in the in the audience asked him you know if if we could go back and examine 4chan 8chan and the months leading up to the 2016 presidential election and have seen the predicting factors that trump would be elected what does 4chan and 8chan say about the 2020 presidential election? And Arthur Jones kind of like put his head down and kind of rubbed his forehead for a second. And then he looked out into the crowd and said, well, um, it's not looking good for an air quotes, sleepy Joe Biden. So there's something really depressing. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Can I do a note? He's a big Bernie supporter. And this was before Bernie dropped out and before Super Tuesday. And he was like, I felt like that was like, I don't think, honestly, and I still don't think that even watching this documentary that these weirdos on the internet I hope not because that had was any a- influence. But oh. I just feel like that. I don't think I don't. They don't come out to vote. They're they're losers. The neat people are. But the problem is, it reinforced them to do the crazy shit mm-hmm. later, which was shoot up people and mm-hmm. filming on the internet and all the shit that we have seen the last. The week. Only- That's what I think. Is it possible? Happened. 
Yeah, I think your your commentary is fair. Is it possible too that he could be making a suggestion of like why we need to watch this documentary and talk about this in context to real political um, experiences? Maybe. But what I took away from that point, he did say 4chan was basically dead. Yeah. What I did take away from director Arthur Jones's point is that this conversation, and I think my my only criticism of the documentary was that it just didn't really feel like it had an ending, but I don't knock it for having an ending because how do you end a story like this that is still ever evolving? Yeah, And it's really true. scary to think that like the next four years of the political climate could be shaped by, again, this underground, like Reddit, not Reddit, but you know, like like a Reddit kind of forum in which people are just engaging in these like horrible conversations like you said not voting themselves but creating enough chaos to have influenced well, the just, election you i just yeah oh my god look the the weird meme gods have spoken and trump got elected that means i can go um you know shoot up a crowd of people and then i'll it's so have achieved some enlightenment it is so they're so fucking stupid Pardon my speech. All kinds Sorry. of bombs today, but yeah, this is where we went and grabbed a piece, a slice of pizza, and um, a glass of beer after we watched this documentary. And I could even tell, like Henry and I were getting short with each other, and it wasn't that like we were mad at each other; we're just like mad at the world. <laughs> this documentary does not. If you are a feeling down on the world, yeah, don't, don't watch, watch this one. This one. It will it not is, make you feel as good, man. I it does not, but. I will say it is a really good documentary, especially if you're still only kind of just dipping your toe into the documentary world because it was, like like I said, easily digestible. It was beautiful. The animation is fantastic. And, and Matt Fury actually animated, um, did the animation for the film. And so I felt like that kind of gave him a chance to sort of reclaim, um, I don't know, his role in this whole story. And, you know, it. I don't know. I just feel like it's a good one. It's not too, it, it's not slow. It's only like 90 some minutes. It's a really fast paced documentary. Um, I left knowing more than I did um, before I watched the documentary. And I think that's where the pain set in was just having gleaned an awareness that I probably otherwise have been intentionally avoiding and ignoring. Amen. Yeah. So, uh, Sorry to leave you on a downer. We'll try to do another episode, but I will warn you, if we do our next episode over the collective, oh. it's not an uppy either. But we should do one over, um, oh, what was that sweet documentary we watched? The Mole Agent. The Mole Agent. Okay, we will do The Mole Agent next, because okay. that one was so precious. Yeah, that one was the good one. It was one. such a good one. So stay tuned for that. Um, thanks to our, our uh, supporters, after all... Still crazy after all these years. Thad, Aaron, Brittany, Holly. Holly's birthday's coming up too. Early yeah. happy early birthday, Holly. Early happy birthday, Holly. Alrighty. Well, I hope you guys feel good, man. Um, <laughs> stay safe and well. Stay safe and well. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.